Amos chapter 7, and our focus verse for the week is verse number 7. I'm a fan of 7, aren't you? Amen. Let's read it together. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. Lord bless you, you may be seated. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever spent much time in the book of Amos. Uh, but the book of Amos would be quite frightening if this was the word of God coming to you. If the Lord spoke to me through a prophet the way the Lord spoke to the children of Israel through Amos, I'd be one nervous puppy dog. Now, just like Hosea, who came after Amos, uh, they were both called of God to be prophets to the hard-hearted and, if I may take the liberty of saying, the hard-headed nation of Israel, the people of the northern kingdom specifically. They were in a terrible place where they had abandoned their first love and were running after other gods. Now, the fact that they were both prophetically aligned uh, with the northern kingdom, speaking into the northern kingdom, is honestly about the place where the similarities end. And I'm going to tell you why. How many of you are familiar with the story of Hosea and Gomer, right? So he marries uh, a prostitute. Brings her in, Gomer, she leaves him again. They're reconciled. And this is one of the craziest love stories in the world. Why the Lord put this in here? To show us the power of reconciliation. Hosea spends an entire book in the word of God saying, Come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. This is the Lord prophesying through Hosea, Come back, come back, come back. You've left me, come back, come back, come back. And just like Hosea, I will receive you. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, come home. I'd rather have you home uh, and, and work on you than I would for you to be happy and be gone. I just, I just want you to come. And so Hosea tells an amazing story of how that Gomer really, uh, if I could say this without sounding offensive at all, but she was like at, at the end of her run. There was, she had ran through her beauty. She had ran through all the wonderful things that she had to offer. All of that was gone and she was on the auction block to be sold as a slave. And this man steps in the back of the room. A man of God, of all things. Steps in the back of the room, raises his hand and says, That's my wife. I want to take her home with me. So Hosea is saying, Whatever you've done, come back. Amos, on the other hand, is speaking from a little bit, uh, a little bit of a different idea. Whereas Hosea's message hones in on God's anguish of being heartbroken that his people had left him, Amos kind of zeroes in on the nation's apathy and their thought processes and how they have justified themselves. And this is not so much like Hosea saying, please come back, please come back, please come back. It's through Amos, the Lord is saying, you either return or else. 
You either get back in here, fall in love, do what you're supposed to do, or else. Now, this is the part that you've got to get in your mind, and I'm not sure that America's ready for this message. But the reason why the northern kingdom of Israel was so hard-headed and God had to send Amos to speak the way that he did, and I would encourage you to go read it. I'm talking about it's a pretty dark place, the things that he's saying. But the reason why God sent Amos with such strong words is because it was a time of great national prosperity. The children of Israel had everything that they wanted and everything that they needed. And when they got to the place that they were so endowed with goods, they decided they didn't need God anymore. Does that sound familiar? It's amazing how chaos turns people back to the Lord. But you put people in a season of prosperity, they'll start forgetting how good God's been to them. And so the Lord speaks through Amos and he, through his voice, he railed on them through their materialism, their greed, their oppression of the poor, their calloused hearts, uh, social injustices like real ones, like crazy things that were going on in the nation and the Lord used the man. Now, I'm just telling you guys that sometimes when you look at ministry, it looks like a place that... Man, that'd be a really neat place to be. I, I'd love to be a preacher. I'd love to be a pastor. I'd love to be a prophet. I'd love that. Until you got to stand where Amos stood and said, The Lord said for me to tell you. That if you don't turn your heart back to Him, that the judgment hand of God is going to rest upon you. In chapter 7 through 9, there are five visions of retributions that are spoken through Amos. And these are crazy. They include locusts and fire and they include a plumb line and they include uh, a basket of rotten fruit. They include the destruction of the temple. Does that sound encouraging? These are desecrations. These are desolations. These are things that are destroying the people. And so people look at this idea and they say, this is the spirit of the, this age as well. They look and say, now, why in the world would God let those people go through that? I want you to consider the voice of this prophet, Amos. He is saying to them, if you'll turn your heart to God, he can lift this off of you. This is the mercy of God that is reaching. It's the same way that people would say, how would a good God send people to hell? That's the easiest question in the world. God's never sent anybody to hell. If people are lost, they are not lost because he didn't reach for them. They are lost because that's what they chose to be. This is heavy teaching. This is heavy preaching. This is heavy prophesying. But what you've got to know in the end time is the same thing that Amos told the children of God. If you don't think that God gets sick and tired of his children going after other things, you just wait until the plumb line comes out. You just wait. He starts comparing to rotten fruit and fire falling. and What a powerful, powerful picture we see. However, the Lord promises in the end of the book that there is hope for future restoration. So this isn't a time to give you an, uh, uh, an idea. I wish I had time to teach to you a little bit about King Uzziah. But King Uzziah was ruling during the time that Amos was prophesying. 
Uh, king Uzziah is very famous because he is, he is the king that uh, he was loved by many, including the prophet Isaiah. But the prophet said that in the year King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. But Uzziah died a terrible death. He died a leper. And he died a leper because he refused to listen to the voice of the Lord. So understand that this was not just a problem in the people. This was a problem from the throne all the way down. That when the leadership of the nation refused to submit to God, then the people of the nation are going to refuse to submit to God. This is a beautiful picture of leadership. There's a reason why in this church we have always taught and always believed and always had a platform uh, guideline that if you want people to live at this level, your leadership needs to live at this level. If you want, if you want people to see that there's a standard that is set, then the leadership has to live above that standard. You have to be willing to live a whole... Why? Because everything rises and falls on leadership is what John Maxwell said. Everything flows from the top to the bottom. When we look about Aaron, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. What's it say about? He said it's like the, the oil that ran down Aaron from his head to his beard onto his garment. What's that mean? Anointing always flows from the top to the bottom. There is a flow of anointing. And if the, the anointing is desecrated at the top, then as it gets to the bottom, it's going to be a mess. That's why his garments had to be clean. He could not just wear any garment. That oil flowed down. It was because it was that same garment that he put on his son Eliezer. When Eliezer became the priest, it was that same garment that Aaron had that was saturated in anointing. And a dirty anointing in this generation would have been a dirty anointing for the next generation. But notice the power of this. Why is all this important? It'll make sense in a minute. But it was Eliezer, the son of Aaron, that his job, look it up in your Bibles. If you, if you want to type it in, look it up sometime. The office of Eliezer is in your scripture. The office of Eliezer. The man that did not know he would become the next high priest, but did become later the, the next priest, his name was Eliezer, the son of Aaron. His job, it said the office of Eliezer, was to keep flies out of the ointment. This is so awesome. Because what Eliezer did not realize at that moment, he was guarding the oil of anointing. He had to guard it. If one fly lands in that oil, the whole thing is ruined. So they got to start all over again. It was very, very precious, very expensive, very valuable to make. And the Lord puts Eliezer watching the oil. Your job is to keep the oil clean because the oil has to go on your father. But the oil that goes on your father will saturate his garments. And what you don't know yet, Eliezer, is that when the Lord brings your father up, Aaron, to the mountain to die, he's going to take that garment off and put on you. So understand, what you're investing in right now will someday invest in you. So however clean you keep the oil right now, as it's being invested on Aaron, your father, and being invested in his garments, when you put that garment on, it's going to matter. So you may not think the oil matters right now, but you just wait till you have to wear it. And so we see the problem that if, if Aaron says the oil doesn't matter to me, I can get this garment filthy, then who pays for that next? Eliezer. And so the problem in Israel was that from the richest to the poorest, from the kingship to the pauper, these people were misaligned with the will of God. 
How did God deal with a misaligned nation? Through the prophetic word. Some people are looking at the nation of America right now and saying, I believe I know how we can legislate this and fix it and make it right. I believe I know who we could vote in to make it right. I believe I know who we could put in Capitol Hill to make this right. I believe if we could get control of the House and the Senate, I believe we could do this and make it right. I'm going to tell you what America needs right now. We need a prophetic voice. America needs prophets that will stand in their pulpits and declare that righteousness exalts a nation, but that sin is a reproach to any people. And if you think there's any other way than righteousness to have revival, we have absolutely missed the mark. I want to tell you right now that we need some people that are as desperate about righteousness in this nation as we have been about our opinions. I have desired all my life for God to establish the apostolic church in the United States of America in such a way that we're given platforms to reach people by the scad, just by the thousands and thousands and thousands. And I always wondered how we would ever do that if that would happen in football stadiums or whatever. And then you look at this crazy mess that we've been in over the last year and it's kind of like big crowds are frowned on just a little bit. And so, I don't know, I've got opinions, and this is not, I don't want to get sidetracked here. But I do want to tell you that we've got an opportunity like we've never had before. There was a time that only people who could afford TV time had the ability to share the gospel through that medium. And now we have at our fingertips, I, ne I never dreamed, I mean, at all, never dreamed, that... We would be where we're at today with technology to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ at any moment. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not watching right now. They could probably tell us, Boaz could tell us if I went back there and, and looked right now. We have people that tune in from all over the world while we're having church. That's incredible to think about. But what good does it do us if we spend our time proclaiming a gospel that doesn't challenge people to change. Am I helping anybody right now? I don't understand why the voices that have the largest platforms use that platform to say, be happy. It's frustrating. It's a little frustrating. Now, you take a look. Again, I know sometimes ministry looks like, wow, this is a great deal. How would you like to be Jonah? That your God-given job is to walk into Nineveh, the superpower capital of the world at that time, and say, repent for your sin has risen before the throne of God. Like, you don't get to come in and say, you can be happy. You don't get to stand up there, bat your eyes, put on your pretty little makeup for the camera, look real sweet, get your hair trimmed all up and say, now I've just come to tell Nineveh that God loves you. And the Lord really wants you to be happy. That's what God wants. God wants best for you right now. You know what I want to ask people about that? When I start hearing that stuff, I want to say, 
What's God's best? Is God's best prosperity? Is God's best... If you don't like this wife, go get you another one. If you don't like this job, go get you another one. You don't like this house, go get another one. Get like, what's God's best? I'm going to tell you what God's best is for us. God's best for us is to get us so sick of Egypt that we can't wait for the promised land. We look at those plagues and think they were just a judgment on Egypt. But I'm telling you what they were was preparing the hearts of the children of Israel to say, we don't fit here anymore. We don't want to be here anymore. This is not where we belong. There is a city that's been prepared for us, a land that's been prepared for us. And we've got to get sick of this one if we're going to go to that one. And so Amos looks at them and he said, look, if prosperity is what you want, prosperity is what you've got. But if that's all you want, then you're going to die with your prosperity. How would you like to preach that? Does that sound like a blast? Woohoo! I bet when Amos laid down at night and the Lord started speaking to his mind, you know, they, they called the prophetic seers. Like these are things that they were seeing. These prophets of the Lord saw these things and they heard these things from God. I would have loved to have been there when Amos was tossing and turning, laying on his mattress at night. And the Lord was saying, you go tell these people that there's fire coming. You go tell these people that they're like rotten fruit. You go tell these people that I'm about to dry up their harvest. You go tell them that. Now that is not a TV evangelist. I'm telling you right now, that makes some of these TV evangelists fall over dead with a heart attack. But listen to what pastor's telling you right now. Listen to what I'm telling you. I want to get this in your spirit. Nowhere in the call to repentance does the Lord allow the prophet to confuse repentance with sacrifice. The Lord was not saying it's going to be a sacrifice for you to leave. He was saying whatever it costs you, it's worth leaving. We've got this whole thing wrong. We're looking at what we've got to lose. And the Lord was speaking through Amos and said, this is what you've got to gain. So how does this happen? What does the Lord speak? Now, I, I, I really wish I had, had some time to go through, through all this. But if you, if you read in, in Amos, it's so powerful. He said, you got your... your uh, prophetic men to drink wine and to become drunk why'd you do that i wish i really had time to dig into this tonight this was so powerful it moved me this week he said you talked men to becoming drunk why'd you do that so they could say they drank no the motive behind it was they honored god enough that they would not speak the word if they had been drunken they become intoxicated they wouldn't speak. So listen, they used temporary intoxication to silence the voice of the prophetic. This sounds like a beautiful picture of what we see happening. All you have to do is get them distracted for just a minute. Get them intoxicated on what's happening in the world right now. And now... People have blackmail on them. 
So they can't declare the word of the Lord anymore. And we'll just get them to shut up. So what are you saying, Amos? What he's saying is, you can act like it's not there, and you can act like it's not a problem. You can act like, just because somebody's not preaching against it, that now it's approved. He said, but what you need to understand is that you may be able to silence the voice of a few holy men that have taken vows like Nazarites. You may be able, you know, these men, you put razors to their head. Why did you do that? Because that's blackmail on them. He said, you may be able to silence that man, but I'll always have a prophet somewhere that's willing to stand up and declare, this is the will of God for this nation. Amos was saying basically in a roundabout way, you quit worrying about the men that have shut their mouth and quit preaching truth. You quit worrying about the men that the world has blackmail on them. I'm going to send somebody that will declare the truth in this generation and turn this nation back to God. And do it. So the Lord, in this chapter we read tonight, chapter 7, and I don't have time to go too deep tonight, but he stands up in this vision. He sees the Lord. It's twofold. He sees the Lord standing on a wall that was made by a plumb line. Standing on that wall holding a plumb line. So the plumb line is a very uh, interesting deal. I, I remember one time preaching uh, plumb line years ago in the old sanctuary and Brother McLean, your wife came to me and said that when she came to the Lord, as a little girl, she remembered Bishop Bingham. When one of the first sermons she heard him preach was on the plumb line. And so we need some plumb line preachers. But the plumb line was such a powerful tool because there was really no technology involved in it. Uh, if you work with a country carpenter or mason, some of them will call it a plumb bob. Go grab the plumb bob out of the truck. What's a plumb bob take? It's a weight. You could use really anything. They, they eventually made some really cool little teardrop look ones that are real cute in your toolbox. But a plumb bob, you can put a heavy sinker on the bottom of a string, a bolt or something. You can use it. Plumb bob. Why does the plumb bob matter? Why does the plumb line matter? Well, because you can't manipulate it. Here's the way the plumb line works. You get up on a high place, you hang the plumb line down. You get down there at the bottom of it and you hold it as still as you can. As soon as you turn it loose, it's going to sway just a little bit because of the weight of it. can't manipulate it. But that plumb bob will move just a little bit, but you stand there and you wait, tight something, and you wait until it stops moving. And wherever the plumb line stops moving, that's the point of beginning right there. You ever looked at things at big projects, see them finished, but you ever wonder how they started? I mean, that's crazy. When you drive by a, an open lot where there was no Walmart and now there's a Walmart, and you're like, where'd they get the starting point? I'll tell you what's crazy. Now they do it all by laser, but it's still the same idea. That it's got to have a level starting point. And when they start with the cornerstone, listen to this. That's going to set the direction for the rest of the process. If the cornerstone is out of alignment. It doesn't matter what wall you build. When the cornerstone is off. 
The project is off. Why is the Lord standing on a wall that was built by a plumb line? Why did the Bible think it was necessary to say that? Because he's standing on something that has been perfected. He said, I'm standing on something that was established in a straight line. But now I'm standing on what's established and I'm holding this plumb line not for the wall anymore, but for the people. This kingdom has been established in a straight line. But we got some things that are off now. The people have been misdirectioned. They're moving in the wrong direction. And what you need to know is you've got to establish your life like the cornerstone of a building. And if you get started on the wrong foundation, you're going to collapse. I love the plumb line because it uses a law of God to work. It uses a law of gravity. I love getting people talking about science, especially people that are not God-fearing people, because they like to argue about science a little bit, you know, and I, I've told people, you know, you can argue if you want to, that's cool, you can argue about the laws of God, it is what it is, but if you really want to get technical and start arguing about it, let's, let's fight about the law of gravity, you, I don't like it, I don't like the law of gravity, I think it's stupid, but that's okay. So what I'd like for you to do is take a job on a roofing crew. I'd like you to stand out there on the edge of that roof. And I'd like for you to argue and say, I don't like gravity. And just because you don't like gravity, go ahead and try to cancel it and say, gravity is canceled. And then just test your cancellation skills and see how good you did. It could be a blessing for somebody. I don't know. I... You understand what I'm saying? There's some laws that, you, like, why are you going to fight it? And that's the power of a plumb line is that it uses a law of God to establish a starting place. It's the way that God created the earth. It uses gravity. It's just a string with a weight on the bottom, and that's how it starts. We have overthought and make complexities in the systems of God that don't belong there. But the problem is that in overthinking those things, we have broken some laws of God. And I know people don't believe this when I tell them, tell them this kind of stuff. But you don't have to be real far off on your doctrine right now for it to make a difference in five years. You don't. If you start playing around with stuff, just kind of manipulating stuff a little bit, you know, I think it'd be really cool if we just kind of moved the plumb line over here just a little bit. Go ahead and do that. I mean, that's cool. Somebody walked through Wonderworks and Pigeon Forge and think they can build a house like that, you know? I don't know if you've ever seen that big old cockeyed building that's laying upside down. Have you ever seen that? Some of my early stuff I built, I think, looked just like that, I'm pretty sure. I might still do it, Brother Sorry, I don't know. But understand me when I tell you, the more that you manipulate it, you're not hurting anybody but yourself. Am I helping anybody right now? I think there's an easier way for this, Pastor St. Cloud. I think there's an easier way we can do that. So I'm just going to bring it right over here. We'll bring it right over here. The Bible said that this church 
was built on a foundation of apostles and prophets, bishop. But Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. It doesn't matter what the apostle so-called or the prophet so-called says. If it's out of alignment with the cornerstone, it's not of God. Well, I have this prophetic gift. Good. Let's see how you line up with the cornerstone. Now, here's the next thing you need to understand about the cornerstone. The scripture said that Jesus Christ was the cornerstone, not only the cornerstone, but he was the stone that the builders rejected. Let me ask you this. Just because the builder rejected it, did it stop him from being the cornerstone? Well, Pastor, there's a lot of people that disagree with, 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 with doctrine. Okay. And that's all right. Go ahead and reject the cornerstone. But there is a foundation of apostles and prophets that have now become a great part of that great cloud of witnesses. And I'm going to tell you something about the apostolic church. Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. That rock, I believe, is that foundational cornerstone of Jesus Christ himself. And he said, this church that's built on a cornerstone with a plumb line, I'm telling you, the gates of hell cannot prevail against that. So what you need to know is that the apostolic church began with a plumb line. Began with a chief cornerstone. So when we get off on Jesus, we're off on everything else. Are you hear what I'm telling you? When you're off on Jesus, you're off on everything else. I'm not just talking about the doctrine of who he is. I'm talking about there's some people that claim to have revelations of things that he's not. You cannot take the chief cornerstone and make him whatever you want him to be and slant him any direction you want to slant him and then build a church that's going to stand for the ages. You're going to have to take the cornerstone for what he is. He is, according to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, unto us a child is born. Unto us the son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. I've come to preach to somebody and tell you tonight, if you're off on Jesus, you're off on everything. I'm glad to know tonight that when you say Jesus, you've said it all because he's Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and of peace let's stand together tonight so what does this mean it means that when the Lord comes back to judge the Lord is going to judge his people at this, at this part northern kingdom of Israel 
He's going to judge them by what's already been established. The wall that was built with the plumb line, and he stands on the wall with the plumb line. He's saying, I'm judging you by what's already established. Now, this is something I've preached for years, and I believe this until the day I die. But I want you to listen extremely close to me right now when I tell you. God is not going to wait until this end time right now to give new revelation of what it takes to have revival. I'm sorry. God's not giving new revelation about new doctrines. He said, I am the door. And if a man comes in any other way, he is a thief and a robber. So understand me, you may be able to find a church somewhere. You may be able to find a preacher somewhere that'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, that don't matter to God. But until they can line that up with the cornerstone, with the wall, and with the plumb line. I've had people say to me, if you didn't preach that, I'd, I'd go there. But the problem is, if I don't preach that, I'm going to go there. I find it offensive. Me too. I do. This is, a, this is a two-edged sword. It cuts coming in and it cuts coming out. And it divides the soul and the spirit of a man. If you've never been offended by the word, you've never heard the word. Because I've walked out of services before thinking, oh my God, can I even be saved? Then I have a little come to Jesus meeting. I let him hold that plumb line in my life. And I realize the plumb line's over here. And I'm over here saying, I don't like that. And he said, well, argue with it. There it is. It's gravity. So go ahead and argue with the law. So you got one of two options. You can stand over here and talk about how you don't like the plumb line. Or you can just get over here and get yourself lined up with it. So what I choose to do tonight is to connect myself to something that is established and rooted that has been built by the plumb line of the word of God, line upon line, precept upon precept. Somebody started telling me not too long ago, and I'm finished, but somebody started telling me not too long ago about the fallibility of the scripture. Well, you know, I think the scripture's got some errors in it. I got this, you know, on and on, just foolish fodder. I said, you know what? I kind of hope you're right. I really do. Like the, the, the soft part of me, I kind of hope you're right. I kind of hope that this life that I've believed, it'll be, an, it'll be right for me to make it to heaven. But outside of that, there will be some other people that make it. Okay? I, I kind of hope that. I just... Because I'm a nice guy. I can't help it. I'm a nice guy. Like, I hope your doctrine is right. But you better hope that mine's not. Because all we've got to stand on, all we've got, is 66 books. That's all God gave us. We've got the canon of the scripture. 
And if anything outside that canon contradicts this scripture, it's a different plumb line. So call us closed-minded or whatever you want. But I'm just going to stand on this book. And I want my life to line up with the plumb line of the Word of God. That's all I got. So, you know, people are talking about building doctrines on this and building doctrines on I'm like, hey, easy, man. Like, just get in the Word and stay in the Word. And if there was something more than the Lord wanted us to have than this right here, how's he going to judge us by something we couldn't get our hands on? Am I making any sense? So we've got a plumb line tonight. It's the plumb line that has established the wall. And at the judgment of this world, I believe that the scripture leads us to understand, Bishop, that the Lord is going to stand with that same plumb line in his hand with the word of God. We're going to be judged by the word. We're going to be judged by how we preached it, how we didn't preach it, how we lived it, how we didn't live it. As a matter of fact, he said that every word and deed will be judged by this book. It's the plumb line. And so I'm encouraging this church tonight. Stay with it. You love doctrine, stay with it. You love Jesus' name, baptism, stay with it. You love the infilling of the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in other tongues. Stay with it. If you believe in a literal rapture that the Lord is coming back to get his church, stay with it. If you believe in the second coming of Christ that we're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years in the earth, stay with it. Let's not jump out here on some bridge and get some new idea. I'm just going to get the plumb line and I'm going to stay with it. Can we pray? Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for the power that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for standing on that wall with the plumb line in your hand. I believe, God, that just as you were judging the nation of Israel through the words of Amos, I pray, God, that you would allow prophetic voices, seers, to be raised up in this generation that would see, oh God, the opportunity, the window, the space of grace and mercy that you have given us. To line ourselves up with that plumb line again. I pray that your word would come alive to us. Lord, that you would plant it in good soil, deep soil. Let it happen tonight. I praise you for this church. I thank you for these wonderful people. I pray that you would go with us and be with us until our next appointed time. In the mighty name of Jesus, let the church say amen. 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 The Lord richly bless you. Prayer meeting tomorrow night at 7 o'clock.